Welcome to Simply Youth Podcast. New episode every Friday on Spotify and more platforms. Like many countries in the Middle East, Lebanon adopts a kafala sponsorship system that has been dubbed modern slavery due to the inhumane practices it champions. Under the system, employers sometimes hold workers' passports, thus restricting their freedom of movement. Many domestic workers in Lebanon are sexually or physically abused, with their salaries unpaid and they're unable to seek help. They are stuck in the maid's room, a two-by-two-meter space, a prison for the 250,000 migrant domestic workers in Lebanon. Yes, this is our Lebanon. However, some people want to change that. This is Lebanon is an organization run by former migrant workers and activists aiming to end this system in Lebanon by empowering domestic workers, informing them of their rights and supporting their access to justice. Their work involves raising awareness among both the Lebanese population and migrant workers, as well as providing legal and medical referrals. Please welcome Zayn Lawson, the co-founder of This is Lebanon. Why did you start this organization in 2017? And did you face any black backlash for calling it This is Lebanon? Yes. So when we started, we just thought it would be this kind of small website. Um, you just tell the stories of the experiences that migrant mass supporters have in Lebanon. One of the specific aspects to that is that, you know, sometimes their, their stories have been told, uh, but because of a fear of the employers and legal liability, that the and the government itself that uh, the names and faces of the employers were, were always hidden and, and so there's complete legal impunity for the employers but there's also social impunity and so we just at first we just thought we'd be a page that at least allows the workers to have a place where they can you know, talk about the horrible conditions under their employers and even have an opportunity um, to make that accusation against their employers in, in the public sphere. Can you describe what forms of violations of human rights that migrant workers have to endure in Lebanon and what structural changes are you demanding? Yes, and uh, I guess, I'm sorry, I forgot to answer part of your first question, which is why you're waiting on there for a second. But also, yeah, in regards to the backlash, uh, you know, we've received a lot of backlash uh, for the name, also a lot of support. I think some of you know what makes Kafala in Lebanon somewhat unique is like how hidden the, the system is, um, especially you know if you think about a place like Qatar, uh, that there's you know these kind of camps of the migrant workers and people can go out and interview people in the camps and things like that. Whereas in in Lebanon, uh, this is largely young women who are locked behind closed doors that the only time that they never have really a, a moment of freedom within the country brought into the airport taking the employer's homes you know, maybe with the agent somewhere in there and then they're taken back to the airport and so we, we wanted to have a name that specifically addressed the, the voice and the perspective of the migrant domestic workers and um, to them, you know, what we write about is something that resonates uh, because this is Lebanon. Yeah, and, and what that mean that is is uh, just, you know, of course there are employers who, who treat their workers well, um, but that is just their their choice, just 100% goodwill, and there's no institutions that it is a 
it's called slavery because it's a system of treating people as a property. Can you share your earliest success story? Like, when did you realize that, yes, this organization is really helping people? Yeah, and, and so, as I previously mentioned, that we just thought we'd be kind of a page just sharing these stories, but then it wasn't long after we started that people started messaging us and saying, hey, there's this woman who's been here for 10 years. She hasn't got to talk to her family. She hasn't been paid. You know, can you help her get home? And um, the, the very first one was Halima. And you can go to thisislebanon.news slash Halima, H-L-A-L-I-M-A. Um, and there's kind of a little documentary about it there where, where she tells her story back in the Philippines. And uh, she had been enslaved for 10 years by Ibtisan uh, Saide, a Lebanese uh, female politician, um, her family. And we also have the story of a, a previous worker for the family who was sexually harassed there. We just kind of put her story out there, didn't know what would happen. It turned out to be effective and she was able to get home. And, but after that, there was a similar case with a Nepali woman been there about 10 years as well. Um, this woman, her, her uncle had actually gone around to all the international institutions in Nepal to try to get assistance for her to get back home. There's a Nepali activist who had come through his village a few years before and took all of her documents, took them to Lebanon and went around to everywhere in the government institution, civil society, trying to get help for her to get back home. Nothing happened. And years later, we formed. She was our second case. And uh, we used that tactic and we were able to get her home in a few months. Honestly, the scene this year of domestic workers being thrown like commodities in front of the embassies in Lebanon was so like infuriating for me and other citizens. So many of them like, need urgent help right now, especially with the economic crisis, the COVID situation, the quarantine. So my question is, you, know, you now have like, a database of contact information for thousands of migrant workers. So how did you approach them? And do you rely on the word of mouth? Yes, we pretty much rely about 100% on kind of word of mouth, social media, things like that. So we, we don't um, generally don't approach anyone of the workers for their, um, you know, if they want to have like a case with us, we us to assist them in that way that they approach us mostly through our social media channels. Occasionally, you know, like someone will share the WhatsApp number of a caseworker with someone else, but but it's, it's largely just through our, our online presence. We've always, at every point in our organization, the demand for people coming to us and I need help with X, Y, and Z has far surpassed our ability to, to respond to them and help them. And even now, we're you know, not taking many cases. Really, the difference is that these workers that, you know, it's not, it's not just that they're not getting paid, it's that, you know, a lot of times they're working 100 hours a week for people who treat them like dirt and they're away from their family, they're away from often young very young children. So it's a, it's a much bigger deal than just a normal idea of non-family. So like a lot of migrant workers are too afraid to expose their owners who have abused them and violated their rights because of fear of any negative repercussions, like more, even worse repercussions. So how do you try to ease that fear among the migrant workers? Yes. So generally, you know, there's kind of a lot of different factors in this, but typically, of course, you know, once they're home, 
uh, they're, they're in a pretty pretty safe position there. They're, of course, some sponsors are a lot scarier people than others. And, and you know, it's not just the workers who are afraid of these sponsors. Uh, many of the Lebanese who want to help are also afraid of these sponsors. And that's something a roadblock that you know we've run into many times, and, and for good reason. Uh, often have threatened to kill the worker or um, there's a case with uh, Lensa and she was with uh, Eleanor, the family of Eleanor Couture, that dress company, that even when she was back in Ethiopia, they told her, if you say anything, um, we'll kill your aunt. And so, you know, that's a, a very real thing. And, um, you know, for, for the more difficult situations, it it is part of just the danger of of the system and, and the process itself and the risk that the worker is willing to take or not willing to take. But also the real devil is the agencies who, that get those workers and trick them. So what was your reaction when you heard that the courts sided the agencies who said their business interests would be damaged if a kafala system is abolished? And are these agencies the reason migrant workers are always exploited? The agencies are, are definitely a, a very core part of it. You know, just the day-to-day, you know, most cases we bring in are more often from employers. But that being said, uh, there's very pervasive abuse from the agencies that the agents are generally the, the least caring um, because it is, you know, there's kind of the slave traders in the scheme, you know, but, but they also have a, a high level of Community, uh, they have a lot of power, a lot of economic power. You know, so far as you know, our experience has been the Ministry of Labor really doesn't have that much of a role in the day-to-day working of Kabbalah, aside from just making sure the recruitment agents pay their dues. A lot of the agents are very powerful people, very wealthy people, because um, there's many different methods they can use to not only uh, make money off the loop business itself exploit it in other ways and, and so it wasn't surprised for us um, you know and also the recruitment agents are in a sense they're right uh, because domestic workers are excluded from labor law so what authority does the ministry of labor have to, to try to implement any legitimate labor reforms and so it has to be something that's much bigger than just a new mandate by the Ministry of Labor. And even if that, you know, when we were looking at, for instance, that that list of changes that the Ministry of Labor said they were going to implement, and actually very few of our cases, we we felt like it would have any impact on. Because part of the real fundamental problem here isn't that there's not enough rules. And there aren't enough rules, for sure. It's regulations are off. But the fundamental problem is that there's no enforcement mechanism to any degree or any rule. There's no enforcement mechanism that protects migrant domestic workers against murder, sexual assault, torture, physical abuse. And so if they can't even get protections for those things, are they going to get protections for anything else? And the interim or caretaker ministry, Minister of Labor herself abdicated the Ministry of Labor of response, any real responsibility in doing this enforcement. 
in an interview, I, I forgot with which uh, news place it was. And she said, you know, there's there's hundreds of thousands of migrant workers. I just have a few inspectors. What am I supposed to do? You know, and then she said, you know, many of them are illegal. You know, that, that that's you know, pretty much blame them for, you know, not having legal status, even though they cannot legally get legal status on their own. Uh, now with the economic crisis, uh, what has happened to the migrant domestic workers? Like, are most of them returning back to their homes? The way the economic crisis hit was was very, uh, I don't know how to describe it, you know, unusual, whichever, because, you know, it, it hit and then it didn't really get bad to COVID-19. Um, I mean, it, it was bad, but in terms of just really hyperinflation, COVID-19, it just swept everything away. And of course, there's the blast that they report in August. And for most of the time between that blast and COVID-19, the airport was closed, so they couldn't go home if they wanted to. And even if the Beirut airport was open, most of the countries of origin, their airports were still closed. Um, but yeah, so that, that's actually why we switched from and started the repatriation campaign is because what we saw was that, you know, there, there, people really can't afford to pay the workers anymore and may be able to afford the plane tickets, but if the little bit of money they have, they're not going to spend it on the domestic work. And so we realized that we have to switch strategies to, to just provide, you know, that campaigning and advocacy is coming up against much harder limits here. And we have to provide much more direct intervention to help the workers safely escape those employers. So has there been any like legal action towards your organization by the sponsor that you exposed on Instagram? I remember the backlash when you exposed the Al Jadid reporter and then went on TV to talk about the case. It was a very biased interview. So like what happened then and did you face any other legal action? So from the very beginning, we realized this is a issue that the government takes very seriously that you know things have changed since we started that there is much more kind of overall awareness and advocacy um, throughout both Lebanon and the diaspora it's been a very positive development and but you know and of course there was people lots of people lots of organizations and stuff advocating for the end of the follow that it's bad, that migrant domestic workers are treated bad, things like that before us. Um, so, so that's always been around. But, you know, it has been something that the government has taken a less hard stance on. Um, so, um, so yeah, but, but all that said is that when we first started, you know, it was much more, more strict. And so we, we knew that we'd have to use a model where any presence we have in Lebanon is, is hidden, you know, is secure, is, is not within the reaches of the government. You know, we, we've heard kind of like consistently since we've started up until the modern day, uh, sources from embassies, um, consulates of saying like, oh, you know, they're asking like, do we know uh, Patricia, she's one of the case workers, for instance. Or do we know, or do you know, you know this is Lebanon? Now, we've never been served with any papers um, in Canada or the United States. And uh, 
but I'm sure if they were to find us in Lebanon, so are there countries from which the migrant workers coming from warning the workers about the situation in Lebanon? Yes, it's a very complicated aspect of this because, you know, there's over a dozen countries of, of origin for migrant workers in Lebanon. And, and in each one, it's quite a, a different situation. And so in Ethiopia, for instance, which is the largest group of migrant domestic workers in Lebanon, African Union and Ethiopian government have estimated about 400,000 that all of their recruitment to Lebanon is all illegal. So, um, you know, which essentially means that it's typically not, not exclusively, but almost always, you know, human trafficking under the kind of UN definition of human trafficking. There are other countries that have legal recruitment processes um, but that still many of those who are recruited are recruited through other processes, other the illegal ones. And really all that takes is paying off someone at the airport, you know, for instance, in Kenya, at the Nairobi airport, costs $50 to pay someone off. When, when the government just takes a, a generic action to make recruitment of migrant domestic workers to Lebanon illegal, it can actually be a bad thing because then any migrant domestic workers who are in Lebanon, the government can then say, oh, well, actually, uh, they came there illegally, so they're not our responsibility. You know, there are citizens, but this is like an illegal crime that they committed coming to Lebanon. And so we're not responsible for them. So in this year alone, you have helped over 700 workers with aid or necessities or like going back home. So what is next for you? Well, a lot of what we're doing is, you know, before the economic crisis, we, we had a pretty good success rate in terms of our ability to help the workers give back their salaries from their employers. And now, of course, that's going just down and down and down. So we have pretty broadly expanded our, our team and efforts that are geared towards those negotiations and, and that process. So we're going to be trying lots of new things in, in the hopes of us being, you know, just being more effective and helping the work. So thank you, Zane, for your time. Uh, indeed, the kafala system has robbed thousands of workers their lives, especially women. Uh, the slave owners care about their own money rather than a human life, apparently. And now in the absence of any governmental oversight and any plan to end kafala, uh, with the economic crisis, uh, it's only getting worse. Uh, we urge our audience to support This is Lebanon and donate to help all these workers in need. Uh, thank you again and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much for the work you two do on, on this podcast and bringing up the important issues for your listeners. It's truly a privilege. Thank you so much and have a great day.